0: We're in the book of Mark, I'd encourage you to turn there this evening to Mark chapter number 6. Mark 6, I don't do this very often, but I want to just give uh, some public recognition and praise. God has given me, and us in particular, a wonderful staff here at Hope Baptist Church. And what makes me say that is this morning... I am sitting out here, and I just noticed the light out. Some of you might have noticed the light out above here, and it just irritates the fire out of me when something goes wrong, and the light was out. And I get distracted, and, and uh, so I took my phone out, I wrote myself a note, be sure and get that corrected this week. And wouldn't you know it, I came out from practice, it was all done. So my, uh, my, uh, my staff came in and took care of that without a person even knowing about it. So praise the Lord. Thank you, staff, and, uh, and I appreciate you incredibly. Mark chapter 6, last week we talked about uh, Jesus going to his homeland of Nazareth. And there in Nazareth, um, he, after, after him doing great miracles elsewhere, he came back home and he couldn't do much. And the reason he could not do much, he just healed a few people, whereas other places he healed everybody that came to him. But in Nazareth, he could only heal just a few people because they didn't believe. They didn't believe. I'm convinced that Hope Baptist Church is here and thriving now because Pastor Barkley believed. He was led of the Lord to come to Loveland and to start a church. And he simply believed that God was going to do it. God used him in a great way. And so we are enjoying today the benefit of someone simply believing God. What about the future? What about next week and the week after and next year and the year after that? It's up to us to believe. The visions that I shared with you a couple of weeks ago will not come to fruition any more than people got healed in Nazareth. We'll not come to fruition if we don't believe. We've got to believe that we serve a great God. We've got to believe also that we're doing His will, and if you're not doing His will, get busy. Get get with it. We we need it. Mark is a look at Jesus as the servant. Jesus rolled up his sleeves and worked. He didn't go around and just pointing to people and say, you do it, and you do this, and you do this, you do this. Jesus worked. He worked himself. And so as we look at tonight's lesson, I want us to be reminded of Mark seeing Jesus through the lens of servant. Let me start reading in verse number 4 of Mark 6. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could do there, Nazareth, no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. He marveled, because of their unbelief. And he went round about the village's teaching. And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. He said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when ye depart thence, shake off the dust of your feet under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, It shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Dear Lord, I thank you for this look at Jesus through a fresh look as a servant. And Lord, we know that you want us to be your servants. You want to tell us what to do and you want us to respond as Jesus did by saying, Not my will, but thine be done. Lord, you know this, but but that goes against our nature. It goes against our flesh. We, by nature, are not submissive, and we're not servants. So help us tonight, I pray. Help us to grow in this, and we'll thank you for what you're going to do. We love you in Jesus' name, Amen. It's interesting. Jesus came to this homeland of Nazareth, and and it's interesting His response. Last week we talked about him coming there and not being able to heal too many. What did Jesus Jesus do with that response? Did he, in fact, shake off the dust of his feet and leave there and say, Ah, but that's the way you're going to be. I'm going to leave you. Well, it's interesting what Jesus did do. It says in verse 7, He called the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits. In other words... Jesus sent them throughout the region. He came to the region of Nazareth, very little response. He then turned around and sent them. The people that had grown up around him could not believe that he was anything special. Just one of them. They refused to believe that he was the long prophesied Messiah. Even though reports of the great deeds He had come, had come to them, still they, they didn't believe. So why did Jesus send them out two by two? It's very clear. He sent them forth by two and two. Why? Well, I wrote down some practical reasons. Number one, it was to keep each other encouraged. They're so going from this village to this village to this village, taking a message to people Many of whom I'm sure were antagonistic to this message to Jesus. So we went two by two, so they encourage each other. And I'll tell you, the times that I go out is so encouraging to have somebody with me. Often I take Pastor Vanderhart, and so encouraging to have somebody with me when I'm going out. Second reason is for safety. Um, thugs will be less likely to attack two than one. to cover more ground, as as, as Jesus could have sent all 12 together, and they could have gone to this village all 12, and then this village, and then this village, but he spread spread them out so they'd go cover more ground, just practically. But the third reason is interesting, or the fourth reason, was to show their agreement in this doctrine, that their message might have credibility. You see, agreement of two people carried a lot of weight, To this culture in Deuteronomy 19 15 it says one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin and any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established so it was a legal matter here now there's two people coming to the door and giving a testimony while that testimony has just received some credibility because there is an agreement there Matthew 18, 16, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So when we go and we talk to someone and have somebody with us, and they're nodding their head in agreement, or if the person that we're talking to asks that person, and they they agree with what we're saying, there's that credibility aspect. It says, and to give them or gave them power over unclean spirits, he gave them power over evil. As they went out two by two, Jesus empowered them over evil. One uh, commentary writes, Though Matthew emphasizes healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease, Mark fixes the attention upon the great central object of Christ's mission to contend against evil in every form especially to grapple with Satan in his stronghold in the hearts of men. They were sent throughout Galilee. It's interesting because Jesus' disciples were new to this. He hadn't had them very long, and now he's sending them out. They had been with him and watched him do some miracles. They had heard him teach. They would sat around a campfire, and he would taught them spiritual truths now now it's time to take what they had learned and share with others their education all that they received needed an outlet they had taken in and now they needed a place to give out this would be an opportunity for teaching to learn the discipline of the ministry and to spread the message throughout the region so Jesus sent them out two by two as a teaching exercise, also as an outlet for what they've learned. It's so interesting how much more we learn when we share. You can read a book, and you can get so much from that book, but if you're told a couple weeks ahead that you're going to teach that book, All of a sudden, you're going back through that book, rereading it, highlighting it, and finding everything you can in there so you can get that, so you can give that truth to somebody else. All of a sudden, it means so much more to you. So now as these disciples are sharing the very truth that Jesus taught them, it's being ingrained in the very depths of their soul as they're sharing it with others. You and I, Jesus' disciples, sit at the preaching and teaching of Jesus as well. Open the Bible, thus saith the Lord, you, as one of Christ's disciples, are being fed. You're taking in. You come to growth group. You come to preaching services like this. You're you're taking in. You need an outlet for that as well. And I tell you, All that you gather from these services is going to mean so much more if you have an outlet where you can share what you learned, where you can help somebody else, where you can share the truths of God's Word. All of a sudden, these truths become so much more alive to you. Every teacher knows that the delivery of a well-prepared lesson is the fulfillment from the study that went into it. Being able to communicate a truth to others forces that teacher to make sure he understands it. If he doesn't understand it, how in the world could he convince somebody else the truth? Verse 8 and 9, chapter 6, says, And commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats prophets in the days of the prophets traveled only with the essentials. Think of John the Baptist. Talk about essentials. John lived off nature. Locusts and wild honey. Now I have tasted a grasshopper after it was roasted really well and dipped in, in uh, chocolate and it wasn't half bad. But I don't think that's how John ate grasshoppers or his locusts. <laughs> I suppose after a while you could develop a taste for it. I don't don't know. Honey's I'm okay with, eating the honey. But John didn't have much with him. What he had was a passion for the lost. What he had was a, a heart for sharing the message that was laid on his heart. One of the most powerful aspects to that prophet's ministry was not what they had, it was what they delivered, it was their faith. Jesus gave His disciples opportunities that would force them to trust in Him. The servant of the Lord must be strong in the faith before the Lord can use him. How strong is your faith? Do you believe? How often have we cried, Lord, use me! I remember in Bible college so many times there'd be little prayer meetings and one of the students would just just cry out, God, use me! I want to be used! And then we would watch and see him go through some trials and feel used. He'd come back and say, I just feel like I'm being used. I'm being used. Yeah, didn't you pray? Wasn't that your prayer, God use me? You know, it's interesting because when you think of a servant, When you think of a servant, you don't think of somebody that's having the greatest of times. You don't think of somebody living in luxury. You think of somebody at the bidding of a master. Someone who simply is at their call at any time, and they will jump and run to whatever the master says. So your first thought for that servant is not, wow, that's a blessed life. But Jesus says, there's your blessed life. There is no more blessed life than being a servant. Verse 10 and 11, And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And it's an interesting thing that he told them. He said, don't be selective in your housing. When you go out by two and two and you go to these villages, the first family that lets you in opens their door and says, why don't you stay with us? The first family that does that, you stay there. But what if they have a dog? And you don't get along with that dog. What if they got a whole bunch of kids and you can't get any sleep at night because the kids are making so much noise? What if they got a really uncomfortable bed? What if the wife doesn't cook very well? Wherever you go, the very first place you go, you stay there and don't move. They were to learn thanksgiving. They were to learn to be thankful. Is it possible that what we've watched over the number of years of the numbers of young people going into foreign missions has dropped incredibly? Is it even remotely possible that one of the reasons they're not selling out to the Lord any longer is because they have grown so comfortable? There may not be a good internet access overseas. I may not get to take all my games with me overseas I might not like the food over there so if God called if God called would you go to a place with no running water would you go to a place where you had to sleep on a blanket on a hard sheet of plywood like we saw the families in India. We were living in luxury because our mattress on a hard piece of plywood was that thick. That was luxury. It Took me three nights to sleep. (laughs) Because it was so hard. I didn't complain, but I went to some of the staff's bedrooms and I saw they had no mattress. They slept on a hard piece of plywood and a blanket. Would you go to a place where all the food was foreign to you? Have you ever heard of balut? In the Philippines, they have a specialty that they love to serve guests. And it's an egg that has begun its development process. Which means there's a living creature in there. And they'll crack that egg open and they'll suck it out. And for them, the luxury is getting to that part that's alive and they'll take that and they'll suck on that for a while and chew it for a while. And they think it's a luxury and they can't wait to share that with guests. (laughs) Guess where I'm never going. (laughs) What if God called and said, I want you to go to the Philippines? Realizing that you might find something in the Philippines that simply turns your stomach. What if they had no Walmart? Can you imagine? Paul, I think, looked into the future. In Philippians four eleven says, "Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content." Bless their hearts, my daughter Katie and Brad. They live almost in the country, and they've got to go like 45 minutes to get to a Walmart. And let me tell you, that was, that was that's some change, for our city girl. We hadn't, we hadn't thought about it, but that was significant change. 45 minutes just to get to a normal store, out there in the boonies. They were not to be selective about their housing. In verse 12 and 13, And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed many with oil that were sick and healed them. So these disciples that went out two by two preached a message of repentance. To whom were they preaching? Well, Galilee on that side, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, was a Jewish stronghold. Most of the people to whom they were preaching were Jews. They were taking the message of Jesus, the Messiah, to Jews. But these Jews were not very religious, if you will. They were nominal in their orthodoxy at best. They would go to church on the weekend, but live like the devil all week long, basically. So the message that Jesus gave to preach was to repent. You see, the Jews had finally given up their idolatry. Seventy years of captivity had driven their idolatry out of them. They were serving only, Jew, only Jehovah. They had learned, however, to just get by in their religion, and so they were hypocritical. And Jesus said they need to repent. John had that same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, turn from your wicked sins. It's the message. Their call was to turn back to God. Such a call caused them to battle many spiritual battles. Verse 13, they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. They were given power to cast out demons and heal the sick. You see, their miracles, that Jesus gave them the ability for these incredible supernatural miracles was for the purpose of authenticating the work of Christ, though it generally only revealed the hardness of the hearts of the people. How could the people ignore such an obvious work of God? They heard the stories of Jesus, they heard the miracles, they heard the teaching of Jesus. They did not believe. As the disciples went out two by two, oftentimes they faced that same unbelief. How could they be so blind? That's the problem. They were spiritually blind and their hearts were hard. In Zechariah 7, verse 12, it says, Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent in His Spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. My girls were young. They would sometimes like to try to tickle me. And I don't know, something in my being said, they are not going to have the mastery over me. I will not submit to their tickling, and I will not show them that this is bothering me. I will not laugh. Though it was killing me on the inside, I refused to laugh. Though I'm sure in their minds they said, everything matches up with this Jesus. But I will not. I refuse to believe in him. He's one of us. He grew up with us. Our kids knew his brothers and sisters. He he was a carpenter. There's no way he could be the Messiah. No. Even though I see everything and every prophecy fulfilled in him, I refuse. I will not believe. They ministered to the sick. Why? Why did Jesus give them the ability to heal the sick? Let me tell you one incredible reason. is because Jesus had a great heart of compassion. Jesus' heart was touched with their hurt. And it was His joy to free people from the sicknesses and weaknesses that had plagued them. The disciples were to reveal that loving heart of Christ. It grieves me when somebody tells me that they're refusing to go to the Lord Jesus. They're they're too far gone. The sin in their life is too far gone, and they refuse to go to the Lord because there's no way that He would accept them. That grieves me because it's just the opposite. He is longing for them to come to Him. He is the only one that can truly help them because Jesus has an incredible heart of compassion for them. The first thing I want you to think about here is Jesus commissioned his apostles, his 12. He came to Nazareth, he tried ministering there, but because of their unbelief, he had very little success. So instead of giving up completely on them, he sent out his 12 and he called them apostles. The Greek word is, looks very similar to apostle. And it literally means sent ones, ones that are sent. So the apostles, the 12 apostles, were a group of men that were to learn how to take the message of Christ and then be sent out from him on a mission. They were sent ones, 12 apostles. I found it interesting the direction that Mark took now in his discussion. I want you to look at uh, verse 14. Verse 14, chapter 6. And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad, and he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. I'm sorry, we're in John chapter... um, Mark, Mark. That is Mark 6, right? okay all right I scratched it out mark 614 King Herod heard of him for his name was spread abroad and he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him others said that it is Elias others said it's a prophet or is one of the prophets but when Herod heard thereof he said it is John whom I beheaded he is risen from the dead I'm gonna speak now from here to the rest of the time on John the Baptist why all the rest of the gospel spent very little time on John the Baptist But Mark zeroes in on John the Baptist and spends a great deal of time on John the Baptist. Mark goes from Jesus sending forth his 12 apostles to talking about John the Baptist. And I scratched my head for quite a while until I saw a connection. Why would Mark, who sees Jesus Christ as the servant, who now has sent forth his 12 apostles as his servant spent so much time on the history now of John the Baptist then the light started to come on it takes a while with me but the light started to come on and i'll share that with you as we as we go herod was troubled by another one that had been sent john the baptist was sent in john 1:6 there was a man sent from god whose name was john guess what the little phrase sent from god there was a man sent from God. It's the same word as apostle. There was a man apostled, if you will, whose name was John. There was a man that was sent on a mission, and that mission was from God, and it was to John. John, you are a sent one. What were the twelve? They were the sent ones. So now we see the tie. John the Baptist was a sent one. So Mark is now focusing in the concept of being sent. Being sent. The 12 were sent 2 by 2. Now John is sent. Herod the Baptist Herod thought John the Baptist had returned. Can you imagine? <laughs> he had had him beheaded. And now he thinks that John has come back to haunt him. Ooh. Herod had imprisoned him in verse 17, for Herod himself had sent forth and laid a hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. I'm not going to go into all the details because it is a very sordid story. It's a very immoral story. Suffice to say that Herod had unlawfully taken and married his brother Philip's wife, John had cried out against the sin, and Herod imprisoned him for his public criticism. So Herod had earlier imprisoned John. Verse nineteen. Therefore, Herodias, this is Herod's wife, had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly see a little dichotomy here between Herod and Herodias. Herod and his wife were not seeing John through the same lens. Herodias was really furious at him. Herod was intrigued by him. Herod's wife tried to have John killed, but could not. Herod had feared John in life, and now he fears him much more in death. He knew that John was just. John was a righteous man. He was holy. And he had watched him and heard him often. Verse verse 21. And when a convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. I'll read you verse 22 and and then comment. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in, and danced, and pleased Herod and them that sat with him. The king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. Again, again, looking at the culture of the time, and reading it and seeing it through the lens of these ungodly people, what's being described here is a very immoral, and lewd situation. Herod's the king. He's invited all of his cronies over to have a birthday party. Now, in this particular culture, for main events like this, only men were allowed. The women could come in and serve. The women could entertain, but the women could not stick around for the uh, sitting at the tables. So Herodias, Herod's wife, was not in there but she saw an opportunity for a plan. So she sent her daughter, not Herod's daughter, her daughter, which means this daughter was likely the daughter of Philip. So it was Herod's stepdaughter in to dance. And we cannot begin to imagine this particular dance, but the dance had an incredible effect on those men who were drunk. So, you can only imagine how lewd this dance was. And this dance was set up by the daughter's mother. Daughter, I want you to go and do something for me. I want you to dance like you've never danced before. And I want you to stir the passions of these men like you've never stirred before. She did. She went in and she stirred him up royally. So pleased was this dance because the men, his cronies, were so blessed by this erotic dance. He himself being blessed by it. He called her over and said, I'll give you anything you want, up to half the kingdom. Now, I doubt that he would have been so generous if he weren't drunk. Half the kingdom? Seriously? I'll give you half the kingdom everything I own you're gonna have half of it that shows how much she pleased them one commentary said that such dancing was an almost unprecedented thing for women of rank or even respectability they usually hired professional dancers Herodias Herod's wife stooped to an unimaginable low by degrading her daughter in front of her husband, all his friends, in order to get her way against John. Verse 23, And he swore unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto half my kingdom. Verse 24, And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Apparently she hadn't told her ahead of time. After the dance is done, After Herod said, what can I give you? She runs out, goes to her mom and says, well, mom, here's what they said. Herod said, my stepdad said I could have whatever I wanted up to half the kingdom. And Herodias knew that her plan had worked. He said, I want you to go back and tell him that I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Verse 25, and she came in straightway with haste unto the king and charge her ass, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger, the head of John the Baptist. We see that word used in Mark frequently, straightway, immediately. She ran out of the party. They were still drinking and still eating. Perhaps dessert was about to be served. She ran out of the party, went to mom. What happened? She went immediately back in. Why? Because she didn't want to miss this opportunity. Herod's out of his mind. I don't want him to start thinking straight. Get back in there while he is still got your favor. She went right back in. And she told him that she wanted John the Baptist's head on a charger. Verse 26, the king was exceeding sorry. Even drunk. Even out of his mind, he was sorry for what he had said. Yet for his oath's sake. And for their sakes, which sat with him, he would not reject her. We're not told why. But Herod sorrowed over what he had foolishly granted to his stepdaughter. Perhaps he had developed a fondness for John. Perhaps he respected him for his convictions. In any case, he had been forced into an undesirable position. You see, the men at the party, now we're going to hold him accountable, they heard what he said. If he changes his word, he's going to look weak before these friends of his. So he gave the orders to have John executed. Verse 27, And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison. And he brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. What girl in her right mind would be willing to pick up a head on a charger? Verse 29, and when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up the corpse and laid it in a tomb. John's disciples came for the body out of respect, and they buried it. Then they came to Jesus. Now we're told this in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 14, 12, it says, And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. This is not mentioned in Mark's Gospel, simply Matthew's. John had pointed them to the Son of God, and now they came, though apparently somewhat reluctantly, to Jesus. You see, John's burial foreshadowed another death that would come. It's worth noting that special care was given to the burial of the body of John. It would not be long before another body would be very carefully handled as it was put in a tomb. Here's our conclusion the the twelve were sent. We call them the twelve apostles. Now, what that means is the 12 sent ones. The second half of the story talks about an apostle, though not by office, but by his mission. He was a sent one. John. So here's the conclusion. First of all, Jesus was sent. Hebrews 3, 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Did you know that Jesus was called an apostle? What's that mean? Jesus was sent by God. He was sent. In Mark 7, it says, and he called unto them, unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. He began to apostle them. The word send. The disciples were sent. So Jesus was sent by God. The disciples were sent by Jesus. In John 1, 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. John was sent. Where do you suppose this is heading? John 20, 21. Then said Jesus to them again, to his disciples, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. If you were to look at the Greek, you would see, as my Father apostled me, even so I apostle you. We are to be the disciples of Christ. As such, Just like Jesus was sent, we are sent. We're sent to be lights in the world. We're sent to spread the news that Jesus died to pay for the sins of mankind. Can we put it this way? We are to always be on call. It's tough being always on call 24-7 where your phone might go off at any time, day or night, and you you may have to respond to that right away. I think of Lorraine and the job that she has. She's on call certain seasons. She's just waiting for the phone call to say, okay, we need to send you to this place or this place. Anywhere across the U.S. she might be sent and be there for weeks on end, on call all the time. That's what we are to be, on call all the time to where when the Holy Spirit of God speaks to us and sends us, we go. He may come and say, you need to speak to this person as you're checking out. Just speak a word of encouragement to this person. Give this person a track. Invite them to church. Tell them that Jesus loves them. You might be talking to a relative. That relative may not know the Lord Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, you have the call. (laughs) You get the call from the Lord, and He says, you need to talk to them about the Lord. Because we're on call. We're sent. I was really stymied at this tie between the apostles and John and why Mark spent so much time. The other ones, if you compare the Gospels, Luke spends very little time on John the Baptist as part of the story. John almost doesn't mention him Matthew spends less than half the time that Mark does in describing John the Baptist. So why does John or Mark spend so much time talking about focusing on John the Baptist after talking about the sending of the apostles? I think it's because he wants us to realize that sending apostles out was the whole job of Jesus he was sending. He was sending. He sent then and he's sending today. Are you willing to be sent? Well, pastor I could never go to Africa I could never go to the Philippines after all I've got all these excuses why I could never do that and more than likely God's call for you is not to go to Africa more than likely he does not have a plane waiting for you to take you to the Philippines but what does he have for you what call does he have upon you isn't that crazy insane how you hear this voice and it says you need to give that person a track and you have immediately another voice saying you can't do that now it might be embarrassing that crazy what you experienced was the call and you're on 24 7 call what we need to do is open our ears and clean them out to that call and be responsive let's pray thank you dear Lord for your love and thank you for this fresh look at your called ones, your apostles. And no, today we're not filling the role of an office of apostle. What we are to do today is to be sent. So help us to be sensitive. Help us to be willing to hear your call. Help us to be willing to go as you call. Give us your boldness to do so. We'll thank you for it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.